Hi, I'm Ross Porter, and welcome to Stranded, CDs for a Desert Island. Hands down, my favorite CD of all time would have to be Live at the Village Vanguard by Bill Evans. Well, for sure, Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Joni Mitchell. One would have to be the essential Billy Holiday. Duke Ellington. Kind of Blue. Sticky Fingers. Beatles. The Who. Todd Rundgren. Keith Jarrett. Oscar Peters. Dave Brubeck. Songs in the Key of Life. If you were marooned on a remote island with no prospect of returning home, which CDs would you want to have to help pass the time? For most music fans, it's a difficult question. But what if you're a musician? Hmm, the prospects could be even more challenging. This edition of Stranded that you're about to hear was based on an interview that was done in October of 1998. It's Mose Allison's turn. He's best known in music circles as the writer of Young Man Blues, which was an enormous hit for the British rock group The Who. Mo's fans include The Stones, Van Morrison, Bonnie Raitt, and Tom Waits. He's built a brilliant career. Mo's boogie-woogie piano playing is innovative and fresh, and as a songwriter and singer, he shines. Mose has joined me now. It's good to finally meet you. Thank you. I'm glad that you're. I'm glad that you're here. I've been a, a fan for a for a number of years, and uh, well, I'm not going to embarrass you. Oh, <laughs> anyway, it's all right. I don't mind hearing that. When you think of your music, now I'm thinking of a guy whose career has spanned what 45, almost 50 years. Yeah, just about. Yeah. Are well, there are there elements? Are there are there, are there qualities in your music that have stayed constant? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think everything that I do was was the germs of it was in the, the my first album, Backcountry Suite. Pretty much, you know. Now, there's been some uh, embellishment, and uh, I, and naturally, I think I've gotten better at it, and I've learned how to uh, make it more effective, I think. And uh, so in the process of playing 40 years, 50 years, uh, I've, I've there's been some changes, and I, I think I've uh, gotten better at it. You know, I, I always tell people, uh, they ask me about my piano style. I say, man, my piano style is a result of playing 50 years with no technique. <laughs> So, what would the elements be? Put those in. Put them into words. Well, oh, the blues, the blues, and uh, uh, you know the people we're going to play. The, we, the records that we're going to play on this uh, uh, show is a pretty good cross section of my early inspirations. The first song that we're going to play is one of yours. Yeah. I felt it appropriate that we uh, that we start with some of your music, mm-hmm. and it's M J A Junior. Right. What's this about? Well, you know, my name has always been a puzzle. You know, for years, one of the constants in my career is at least two or three times a week, somebody says, what's your real name? Uh, What's that short for? Is that your nickname or so forth? And I get called, uh, everything that's in the tune, I've I've been called that, Mo and uh, Moose and uh, Moss and Mose. (laughs) So uh, it it just, uh, those things have been such a constant that I decided, well, hell, I'll just put it all in. You know, might as well use it. <laughs> so that's what I did with this. And what's the album called? Uh, Jim Cracks and Geegaws. Here's Mose Allison and MJA Jr. Mo John Allison Jr. That's the only name I've had. Don't call me Moses, don't call me Mo. You're just gonna make my mama mad. Mo John Mo John Allison Jr. Mo's Allison and MJA Jr.
You've been doing it now, what? We talked earlier, it was 45, 50 years you'd mentioned? Well, I've been playing, I played my first professional six-night gig uh, in 1950. Now, before that, I played in college bands and army bands and, uh, you know, NCO clubs. And I, so I've, I've played maybe for, uh, since I was 16. I think my first job in a nightclub was when I was 16. That was just a weekend. Had uh, illegal gambling and a black market whiskey. <laughs> Do you remember the first record that you bought? I'm not sure, but it, it might have been a Louis Armstrong record. It probably was a Louis Armstrong record because before there was electricity in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, they got electricity there when I was 13, 12 or 13. And before that, I had a cousin who had a wind-up Victrola, and uh, she had some Louis Armstrong and some Earl Hines and Fats Waller. And uh, I remember playing those things on the wind-up big shoulder, and that was so I, it was before I was 12 or 13. So I'm, I probably bought a Louis Armstrong record. That might have been the first thing I bought. Now, your first Desert Island pick is S.O.L. Blues by uh, Louis. Right. I, I, I included that because, to me, that's like a, a, a seminal record because at the time that record was made, I, I've been informed that, that the number one song in America was My Blue Heaven. Uh, Molly and me and the baby makes three. We're happy in my blue heaven. <laughs> and so when Louie come along, came along and uh, said, I'm with you, sweet mama, as long as you got the bucks, <laughs> it, it, it opened up a whole altern, alternate uh, approach to the music and, and uh, different attitude and everything. So. All right, let's go back to May 13th, 1927. Here's Louis Armstrong in his Hot Five, and this is SOL Blues. Louis Armstrong in his Hot Five, and that was S.O.L. Blues. Yeah, that, that music is still in the air down in New Orleans. You can go down there, <laughs> you can feel it. <laughs> That's a, it's great. I mean, I love listening to that, uh, that style of music. Mm-hmm. Why was he so influential? Well, it's, it, it's just, the, you know, the touch, the tone, you know, the qualities that you, can't, that you can, that you can uh, recognize but not describe. <laughs> uh, somebody said that about quality. Mm-hmm. Quality is a thing that you can recognize, but you can't describe it. You know? So uh, I just, that's what it is. I suppose it's a quality that um, escapes anal- analysis. <laughs> there are times when I listen to Armstrong sing, and I actually hear some similarities with you. Not- oh, definitely. You know, definitely. You know, like uh, the phrasing, you know, the phrasing, Louis, uh, Louis Armstrong's phrasing is still around, you know, it's still in, in all the jazz singers, you know. What's your next pick? Uh, Louis Jordan, uh, Slender, Tender, and Tall. Now, he was uh, somebody I listened to a lot when I was a teenager, and he always had, always had a hit on the on the record player there, the jukebox and tippo. So I used to hear him a lot, and, and he influenced a lot of my early stuff, you know, that rhythm and blues thing, the, the bounce uh, type thing. Here's Louis Jordan. This was recorded live in Chicago in 1944. This is Slender, Tender, and Tall. Whenever I go to a dance, you never see me. 
Lester Young with Count Basie, and that was a shoeshine boy going back to uh, 1936. Well, to me, that that those two courses that Lester Young plays on those things are, are as good as anything ever recorded in the jazz world. And uh, that was his first recording, and for him to just walk in the studio and do that, it, it still amazes me. And another thing about that record, one reason I wanted to play it is because that's that's the epitome of four four swing, which is to me that's what jazz is all about. You know, now you know we had the we got into that thing where jazz players were all doing rock and roll and back a few years ago and everything and the, and the backbeats, you know, the heavy backbeat and all that stuff and the sock symbol on two and four and all that rim shots on two and four stuff. But to me, that's that's where it is right there. Four, four swing. That, that's Count Basie epitomized that, uh, that band of those years. Did you know Basie? No, I never did. I, I, I've seen him uh, in person, but I never never met him. And what about Lester? Uh, I, I met Lester, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I met Lester, and uh, I've been around, I was around him a little bit, you know. I, I Actually, I saw Lester on his last job in Five Spot in New York on the Bowery, and uh, it was kind of depressing because he sounded beautiful to me, and but he wasn't getting any respect, and there was very little business, and the waiters were banging the tables around, and, and even one of the musicians with him was complaining about having to play with this old guy, so he just, had to, he just needed the money, you know. So uh, it was it was a real uh, depressing scene, but to me, I, I mean, he sounded, you know, he didn't sound then like he d- did on this first record, <laughs> but he still played beautiful. I thought it was fantastic. You know, I really, really loved the way he played. Beautiful time. All the way, you know, all the way from, from the beginning to the end, you know. <laughs> What's your next choice? Uh, uh, Nat King Cole, Trio Days, uh, Beautiful Moons Ago. That tune I liked, and this... Uh, this, uh, the trio in, in those years was uh, my main uh, influence, I guess, you know, when I was a teenager. And um, this particular tune, I just liked the changes, you know, the melody line, the changes. I thought it was a real nice tune, unusual tune, uh, chord progression. Okay, let's have a, uh, let's listen to it. Here's Nat King Cole, and this is Beautiful Moons Ago. You're listening to Stranded CDs for a Desert Island. I'm Ross Porter. My guest is Mose Allison. His picks are a little different than others in the past. They've uh, selected entire CDs. Mose has picked specific songs. So far, they've included SOL Blues by Louis Armstrong, Slender, Tender, and Tall by Louis Jordan, Lester Young's Shoeshine Boy, Nat King Cole's Beautiful Moons Ago, and this one. Here's Muddy Waters and Louisiana Blues. That was Muddy Waters and Louisiana Blues, another one of Mose Allison's picks. Yeah, that, that personifies for me the Mississippi Delta, Mississippi Delta Blues. I mean, that's, that's a, 
a quintessential uh, version of the Mississippi Delta blues and a little Walter playing harmonica. And, and it's just, uh, it, it brings me right back to that era, you know, in Mississippi Delta in the 40s, 50s. I always liked everything that he did, you know. Uh, when there's a station in New York that plays 24 hours of Muddy Waters on his birthday, and I listened to that thing almost all day, and I liked everything I heard, which is not the case with most of the people they play 24 hours of. <laughs> what about Duke Ellington? Where does he fit into the, the musical picture for you? Well, you know, Duke Ellington's written so much music. You'll never, I don't see how anybody could ever hear the complete works of Duke Ellington <laughs> because he wrote so much stuff, you know, like, and... Uh, and he was important to me back then because uh, Black, Brown, and Beige and those, and those things. And, uh, you know, his big band, it was, it was so powerful. I used to hear uh, Treasury broadcasts, you know, live broadcasts when I was a teenager in Mississippi. You know, and I remember some of those things, you know, some of those Duke concerts that were just really bowled me over. And, you know, and, you know, he's written so many good songs. I still do a couple of his songs, you know. They're timeless. Oh, yeah. The song that you've picked comes from uh, Black, Brown, and Beige, mm -hmm. and the one that you, uh, that you wanted to play was called The Blues. Right. I just wanted to show a different uh, type of blues, you know, like and show, show what Duke did with the blues, you know, and it's, uh, it's not really blues, you know. And, and, uh, well, it, it's got the, the tone and, uh, uh, of the blues, but uh, the... the um, melodic line and all that and the chord progression and so forth is not blues this version was recorded in concert at Carnegie Hall in New York City on January 23rd 1943 and it features Betty Roche on vocals here's the blues <laughs> Duke Ellington and his orchestra and the blues recorded live at Carnegie Hall back in 1943. That's that's a good uh, dose of Duke, you know, the, the sound, the ensemble sounds and the writing and everything, you know, the, the tone. How old are you now? I'm 70. And how many, how many days out of the year would you be on the road? I work 125, 130 nights a year, something like that. And you live outside Manhattan? I live on Long Island, yeah, about 50 miles out. And are you in a house, an apartment? Oh, yeah, I live in a house. I, I, just, I paid all my mortgage about three years ago. <laughs> I've been out there over 30 years. What's your next pick? Uh, let's see, where are we? Oh, it's uh, uh, Parker's Mood, uh, Charlie Parker. I just, uh, that always uh, knocked me out because it just shows what a genius can do with the 12-bar blues. Here's Charlie Parker, and this is Parker's Mood from 1948. <laughs> Thank you. 
You're sitting there yakking right in my face. I guess I'm gonna have to put you in your place. You know, if silence was golden, you couldn't raise a dime. Because your mind is on vacation and your mouth is working all the time. Mose Allison, and your mind is on vacation. Of all of the material that you've written, that is my favorite song. Well, that is actually becoming the most recorded. You know, it's been recorded a lot by different people. Do you remember how you wrote it, the circumstances that you, that you wrote it under? Well, it was it, the, the prime uh, uh, mover, the, the, the first inspiration for it, you know, it came as just a result you know, of playing in small clubs where everybody's talking away while you're up there trying to play. But uh, then, then uh, I realized later the implications uh, go much f- further than that. You know? So people s- sometimes say to me, I know somebody just like that. Who were you thinking of when you wrote that song? And I said, well, me. <laughs> so eventually you realize that, you, that you've done that yourself. <laughs> You know, I've, I've, my mind's been on vacation, on vacation a lot of times when, I've, when my mouth is working overtime, and probably right now. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so I, once I realized that it, that it applied to me, then, then I became more uh, impressed by it. Moving on, what's your next pick? Uh, Lenny Tristano. I, you know, I like, uh, Lenny Tristano was one of the guys I really liked when I was in New York, when I was in, New York in the 50s, late 50s. And... Uh, he was uh, sort of considered a maverick on the jazz scene, you know, because he had a different approach. But uh, his style, I, I thought he was one of the best, you know. I, I always say that the, the fathers of uh, modern jazz piano are Lenny Tristano and Bud Powell. I think they were the heaviest players in those years, and they influenced everybody, you know. Like almost everybody since then was even either influenced by Bud Powell or Lenny Tristano. the summer of 1955 that was Lenny Tristano and that was East 32nd that's the best thing I've heard in years <laughs> <laughs> one of the, the great things about doing this with you is, is while the music's playing watching you react well that, that, that man that, that's some piano playing there you know to me that, that you know you can't beat that you know that's that's as good as anything anybody's ever done are there any sacrifices that you've had to make with the, the length of time that you've been performing and the number of days you spend on the road? I don't think so. You know, people say, well, uh, you know, I had four four children, and uh, and they say, well, you were away from home so much. And I say, look, man, I was home more than the average businessman. The average businessman goes to work every morning at 6 o'clock and catches the train, comes back at 8, and uh, says hello to the kids and goes to bed or whatever, and he goes and plays golf on weekends. <laughs> so... He's never with his kids, his family. You know, a lot, not very, except for holidays, maybe. And uh, so when I used to work like 20, 25 weeks a year on the road or something like that, I was home the rest of the year, you know, 24 hours a day. So I remember doing a lot of chores around the house with, with babies and kids and so forth. 
So uh, you know, I I don't I wasn't really away any more than uh, most people who work for a living are away. Now, if that would be the only sacrifice, but actually, you know, I'm I've uh, I've enjoyed it. You know, I'm I'm I have no complaints. You know, no real complaints about. It. I'm a very fortunate person. You know? And your kids are normal, healthy. Well, uh, my oldest daughter's a, a lawyer. My second daughter's a singer-songwriter. My third daughter's a psychiatrist, and my son is a computer uh, systems analysis for a mining company. I, so they all seem to be doing okay. <laughs> and I have a granddaughter too, 14 years old, and she's doing great. She's in the ballet and all that. This has been great. I've really enjoyed listening to your choices. Thank you. What's interesting? I enjoy me, it too. <laughs> What's interesting for me was with some of these is is the uh, the era that they come from. Actually, most of them there's a there's a period of time the the latter part of the 30s into the end of the 50s. That's where all of your choices are, are yeah. from. Well, I think that's where the all of the major influences came from. I don't think anything new has come up since then. Really, you know, I don't I, I haven't heard anything that wasn't uh, that couldn't be traced to those uh, those people. Those might be fighting words for some <laughs> well, of the people that are listening. Well, I mean that's tough. <laughs> Now you know there's just, there's a few little uh, int- little things, little changes, but uh, you know I always say on any given night, every good jazz player plays the same thing, <laughs> and that is it'll be something. Uh, most of them, well, at least the ones that uh, no, I'll take that back because there are jazz bands now who owe a lot more to Arnold Schoenberg than they do to Louis Armstrong. No doubt about that. So the Schoenberg, the, the Academy people, or whoever, you know, whatever, they, that's a different thing altogether. But the, the jazz people who came up in nightclubs or, uh, playing jazz and whatever, they're all going to play some blues, and they're all going to uh, be uh, somewhat influenced by some of these people I, I, that I played today. You know. Most thank you. Thank you. I'm going to play your last Desert Island pick. This is from Thelonious Monk, and here's Crepuscule with Nellie. I'm Ross Porter. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Stranded.